Let us pray. Father God, today's a, a new day at the beginning of a new year. And we're conscious, every last one of us, of our need for, for new life to come to us from you. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that your spirit would make it live for us today in new ways, and that you would teach us new things and give us new strength to follow Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. So for many of us, the, the one whom we've celebrated over these last weeks, who came into the world to be the Savior of the world, for many of us, he has become our Savior. The light of the world has brought light into our lives. God has, in Jesus, rescued us from our sin and our alienation and brought us into a new relationship with him. So we have a sense that Jesus Christ is giving new life to us. But it seems like we need to, to enter into that, to, to learn how to live this new life that Jesus has called us to. That, that's what it means, I think, to be a, a disciple, uh, someone who wants to learn, an apprentice. We want to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus so that the world around us might see Jesus in us and be drawn to him. So that's why we gather here um, the first day of every week and, and certainly the first day of this year, 2012, because we're disciples of Jesus Christ and we want to learn from him how to be like him. This morning, we're very much coming to the end of another Christmas Advent season. And we're just about to race headlong into another new calendar year. And I want to relate the two somewhat. I want to ask a question. What might we learn about how to follow Jesus in 2012 from what we've just celebrated in this Christmas season? What can we learn about following Jesus from the way in which he came among us, the way he lived among us. What can we learn that will help us better imitate him and live like him? It's a good question to ask when you have Philippians chapter 2 open in front of you, because there Paul's telling the church in Philippi that he wants them to look to Jesus and to learn to live like him. Look at verse 5 in the center of the passage. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In this famous passage, Paul talks about Jesus coming into the world and he wants his audience to learn from how Jesus came, the way in which Jesus came. Learn to have something of the same attitude as Jesus is what Paul's inviting the believers in Philippi to. So what was, what was Jesus' attitude? What is it? that Paul's drawing our attention to. Well, if you look at verses 6 to 8, he, he gives it to us in just two sentences. 
The first sentence tells us how as God, he poured himself out and became human. Paul says that Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus had it all. He had equal status with God. He had all the glory and all the riches of heaven. And he gave them all up. So that he could come and be among us and be one of us. The second sentence takes us to a different place. Because not only did God become man, but but when he was man, Jesus further humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ didn't come into this world just to identify with us. For those people who limit Jesus coming into the world as an identification with humanity, they miss Jesus' full purpose in coming. When the singer Joan Osborne asked, what if God was one of us, uh, that song that was doing the rounds in the late 1980s, she didn't go half far enough. Because in Philippians 2, Paul asks a much further reaching question. What if God humbled himself enough to become one of us but went on to humble himself completely and give his life for us. What then? That's Paul's question. How do we live in the light of a humble God? How do we follow this kind of a God? Before we leave verses 68, let me get grammatical with you. It's one of those moments where you can tell that I do read to prepare sermons. I know nothing about grammar, um, but I read books of guys who do. That little word being in verse 6, it's very important here. Jesus, who being in very nature God, that participle being is in the Greek is known as a circumstantial participle. And that means that its precise meaning depends on the circumstances in which it finds itself. And that means you have a couple of different options of how you translate it, depending on what you think is going on as a whole around it. It could mean, for example, that Jesus, although or in spite of the fact that he was in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. And and from one point of view, that makes perfect sense. And I have to say, that's how I always understood this passage until more recently. And the idea is that Jesus became a servant in spite of the fact that he was God. What he did when he came to earth and when he was born of a Jewish peasant girl was atypical in a sense. It wasn't his normal behavior With this understanding, it's almost as though Jesus was acting out of character for a while when he humbled himself and came to earth. He did this for a time, 
so that he could achieve his particular mission. Despite being God, he humbled himself. That's the way I'd always understood this and thought of it. But recently I've been introduced to uh, what I think is a better way of understanding this verse. We take the the circumstantial uh, participle to express cause. And what we mean then is we say, we translate the passage to read, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who precisely because he was in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. You see what Paul is saying here? When Jesus humbled himself, it wasn't in spite of being God. He humbled himself because it's precisely in his nature to do so. Our God is a humble God. This God whom we've seen most clearly in Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection, this is the only God there is. Jesus isn't a blip on the normal way of being God. This is God. Our God is a humble God. And so humility is the basic attitude of his followers. We're asking the question here this morning, what, what is Christmas, that coming of Jesus? What does it have to teach us about how we might follow him? What, what is it particularly about the way in which he came that might teach us the way in which we are called to live? Maybe to put it another way is, why does Paul drop the Christmas story into the middle of this letter where he's writing to a bunch of new believers in Philippi? What, what's this coming of Jesus and the way he came got to do with anything else? Well, the interesting thing here is that Paul doesn't tell us about the birth of Jesus to prove any great theological point. It's not in this instance that he wants to say, talk about the deity of Jesus, for example. Jesus was God among us. That's not the territory that he's on. Paul's concerns here are very practical, and we can see that as we read in the letter. He wants the believers in Philippi to be mindful of the humble coming of Jesus so that they can follow in his footsteps and live humbly like Jesus whom they follow. Jesus came humbly, lived humbly, died humbly, so that we might follow humbly too. And that makes a whole lot of sense then of the the verses that go immediately before, verses 1 through to, to 5. If you just let your eye run down them, You'll see in the first couple of verses, Paul basically invites the believers in Corinth to pass on to each other the kind of benefits that they have found in Christ. He lists five wonderful aspects of God's uh, encouragement to his people. He encourages us, number one. He brings us comfort, number two. He invites us to have fellowship with him, number three. 
Paul speaks of God's tenderness and his compassion. Paul's saying, listen guys, you've experienced all of these gifts from Jesus Christ. Now learn to give them to each other. And he talks there about being like-minded. The same way that God treats you, these blessings that God gives you, learn to be like-minded and give them to each other. In verses 3 to 4, Paul gets very practical about what this might look like in their church fellowship in Philippi. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There's nothing new here in Paul. This is what the Jewish law had been teaching for hundreds of years. Leviticus 19, we're told, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that what Paul says? Look out for each other's interests rather than your own. As for steering clear of selfish ambition, Jesus preached that all the time. He warned us that the last would be first and that those who are first will end up last. When it comes to humbly considering others better than ourselves, he demonstrated that. Do you remember the upper room? His disciples are sitting around at each other's dusty, sweaty feet. Nobody in the room is going to take on the job. It's Jesus, God among us, who lifts the towel and the basin and gets on his knees and washes his friend's feet. There's nothing new in what Paul's calling us to. What I think is wonderful in this passage is the way in which Paul connects the humility of Jesus to us. He says, think like Jesus. Be like-minded. Have the same attitude. I want to spend the last few moments this morning thinking with you about how we might make this concrete for us following Jesus into 2012. The most direct application is, is actually in, just in our church life because that's what Paul is, is writing about. He's asking the believers in Philippi not to, to pursue a certain way, but instead to live the way of Jesus. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Think about that for a second in the context of our real day-to-day life church family. I don't just mean Sundays when it's all, you know, everybody puts on the right clothes and the right face and we go through a set piece. What about everything, all the ways in which we share life, all our home groups, all our committees, all our interactions with each other spontaneous along the way? Imagine a community where nobody is acting out of selfish ambition. Nobody has misunderstood the church as a community where they can have power and influence. 
There's none of that going on. The leaders are servants. They've understood that to be called into leadership is to be called into a sacrificial role, giving their best energies for others. Imagine a place where we really do consider others better than ourselves. A place where the success of another person isn't a bad thing. But something that we learn to celebrate. Because they're not competitors of ours. But, but friends and sisters and brothers. Imagine a place where each one looked not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. A place where, where younger people were, were learning from an early age to consider the preferences and desires of older people. And a place where the old loved nothing more than to give up some of their dearest held things to give a welcome and an encouraging environment for the young. A place where men in the church learn to to care deeply and sensitively about the experience of women and, and vice versa. A place where our needs and the needs of my kind of group and my kind of people was firmly down the list of priorities so that your needs and the needs of your kind of group and people could be much higher. Imagine entering into a community where the people were less interested in asking the question, how can this be about me, than the question, how can this be about you and about us together? and about God's glory as we share this life. Following Jesus in 2012 will mean walking humbly together in our church family. As I close this morning, I want to suggest that following Jesus will also require us to walk humbly, not not only in our church family, but as a church family as well as being humble in our relationships with each other, we're called to be humble in a corporate way as we relate our shared life to people beyond our community. Uh, Let me explain what I mean by that. A few years ago, this church family was very small. and, And in poor health, truth be told. But that's not the case anymore. God's been good to us and blessed us. A few years ago, we had very few resources. Now we have much, much more. A few years ago, hardly a soul had heard of Kirkpatrick Memorial. So if you were one of the early members joining this church and a friend asked you where you worshipped and you said Kirkpatrick Memorial, nobody knew what you were talking about. By now, people do know a little bit more 
about Kirkpatrick Memorial, and we have a reputation. How do we find ourselves responding to all that? Are we going to allow this shared life that God has given us, the life that's, that's focused on the humble Savior, are we going to allow that to become something that we're, we're proud about in the wrong kinds of ways? Something that brings a, a kind of a group arrogance? Are we guarding our hearts? Am I doing that? Inevitably, when people think of of the growth and the change in the life that God has brought to Kirkpatrick Memorial, some people choose to project some of that onto me, and I, I know that in my interactions with them. Can I continue to say, that I'm amazed by what God has done here and that I'm grateful to Him? And will I walk humbly? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who because he was in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What is Christmas and the coming of Jesus Christ into the world to be born of a Jewish peasant teenager. What does it teach us? It teaches us that our God is a humble God and that the only way to follow him is in humility. There is no other way. When we walk in a different way, we don't walk in the way of Jesus. It's the only walk he knows and the only walk he invites us on. Let us pray.